Welcome to this week's Energy Show. I've spent a lot of time over the past 15 years talking to homeowners about solar for their home. I've been at too many kitchen table chats that I can count and walking around the house and talking to them about their family, etc. You know, things like, oh, what a nice dog. <coughs> Ouch! Or, is that a picture of your grandmother? Oh, your wife. Sorry. Oh, so I'm not really good at this kind of thing. So that's why I have professional salespeople working with me. And they're a lot more diplomatic. I'm just kind of an honest guy telling them what they should get as far as my opinion of solar. But I do get a lot of questions again and again. Things like what panels to buy or what's better, a string inverter or a microinverter or an optimizer. And we've talked about those things already on the show. But I thought I'd dedicate today's show about some of the more obscure questions that often come up. These sometimes are questions that homeowners don't think about asking, but they should. And I think this is very good for our listeners, both people in the solar industry and homeowners, to kind of get a more of an independent, objective perspective on what the straight scoop is about solar for their home. So we're going to dive right in and go over about 10 different questions that homeowners should ask or maybe afraid of asking, or maybe just kind of assume that they're important. I'm going to start one right off with building permits. The question is, why do I need a building permit for rooftop solar? Well, you know, sometimes I think solar is pretty standard. It's pretty easy. You shouldn't really need a building permit for it. I've come to the conclusion, really making sure that systems are installed safely, that building permits are important. So there's three reasons why a homeowner needs to get a building permit for solar. First, your community probably requires it. And if you put something in that's not permitted, it's going to work. But you may have trouble selling your house down the road or it wouldn't be considered as an asset with your house. The second reason why you should get a building permit is every utility district that I'm familiar with requires you to have a signed off building permit before they'll interconnect your system. And we're going to talk about interconnection in a minute. But the utility basically says... Show me the permit. Once they see the signed off permit, then they have certain degree of confidence that the system's installed properly, safely, and with UL listed equipment. And the third reason, which is really important, is the building permit is for your safety, your home safety, and the residents in the house safety. The inspector that comes out to check the system is going to make sure that everything's installed properly, that you've installed UL-listed tested equipment, that the system is attached properly to the roof, that you have the right kind of wiring, the right thickness of wiring, the system's wired properly, and the inspectors spend a lot of time making sure that everything's properly grounded and the grounding is just a safety features. Now, one of the things that you got to keep in mind is the inspectors don't check to see anything about the system's performance. So don't expect the inspector to say, oh, gee, the system's underneath a tree. You're not going to get a lot of output. That's not his job. His job is just to make sure that it's safe, installed properly, the equipment's listed, and then it's wired properly. So I found that the inspection process, although quite inconvenient from an installer's perspective, because sometimes it takes weeks to get an inspection, and sometimes the inspectors find something that's random or may not understand the equipment and then reject the inspection. You've got to schedule a new inspection. But in general... I'm a big fan of getting your solar system properly inspected because that's the safety requirement that's going to make sure that that system is going to last and not create a problem down the road. Okay, so talked about that. Next question, and this just came up with one of our customers recently. The question was, what happens if I install a solar system and I'm running the meter backwards, but I don't fill out the utility paperwork? Basically, what happens if you put in a system, but you don't tell the utility you have solar? So here's what's going to happen. This is pretty easy to happen. You install a system, 
It might be inspected by the inspector. Everything's fine. But you don't bother filling out, some cases it's four or five pages, in some cases it's 20 or 30 pages of utility interconnection paperwork and documentation. Just like don't bother. And there's usually a delay getting that stuff done anyway. It could take months. So what's going to happen is the utility hasn't been told that you have a solar system. And the system's going to operate properly and safely, I'm assuming that it was inspected. So the utility basically insists, every single utility I know in the U.S. insists that you get their permission to connect to the grid. Now, I find that a little bit ridiculous because obviously they don't really ask for permission if you put in a new five-ton air conditioning unit. And most of them don't ask permission if you put in an electric vehicle charger that's going to double your electric bill. Why? Well, they're making more money. But what happens with solar is when you put solar in, the utilities are actually losing money. Now, their excuse as to why you need their permission is they don't want to have a grid overload. They don't want too much power being fed back into the grid. You know, I can kind of just hold up a mirror and say, but you don't care if too much power is used. You just care if too much power is sold back. So the real reason why utilities want that approval and why they take so long is they just want to slow down and delay their revenue loss from solar. And they want to make it more expensive for you to put in solar. So that system is going to cost more. And the reason why it's more expensive is this interconnection process is sometimes quite expensive for your installer to shepherd through. So you need to get the utilities approval. And that can take a long time. Now, it's inconvenient. It's a pain in the neck. What happens if you don't bother getting their approval? Well, the system's going to be installed. Let's say you're not home during the day. Say you have a five or six kilowatt system and the meter's going to be happily running backwards. It's just going to work. You're going to be sending power back to the utility. That's going to keep happening and everything's going to be fine until the, the utility meter reader comes out and notices that in one month, the kilowatt hour consumption numbers were lower than your last month or here in many states like California, people have smart meters. The smart meter registers progressively lower monthly consumption. So the utility is going to see this and say, gee, that's weird. You know, we thought we were selling electricity to this address, and now it seems like their consumption goes down, down, down. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to assume one of three things. One, that you have a defective meter. Two, that you're somehow stealing power. And there are cases where people will actually turn the meter upside down and make it run backwards. That's clearly illegal. The third is they're going to say, hey, maybe they have solar and they didn't tell us. So what are they going to do? Well, they may send someone out to check the meter and see if the meter's defective. And obviously they're going to say, well, they're going to look up on the roof and they're going to see solar and they're going to say, oh, well, that's the real reason. So they're going to find out sooner or later. Now, what they're going to do, and I've seen this happen in several cases, the utilities, are, they don't want to make a big deal about this. They're going to take the easy path. What they're going to do is they're going to actually charge you for the amount of energy for the kilowatt hours that you send back to them for free. And so typically what happens is, let's say your previous month's meter reading was 30,000 kilowatt hours. And then the next month, because you put in solar but you didn't tell them, the meter said 29,000. You know, and this might happen during the summer where you're just kind of net sending power back. So totally reasonable. It happens. It just happened to somebody that I know just this week. It wasn't our customer, by the way. Uh, they called and complained. So it's going to happen. But now the utility is going to say, gee, the bill was negative 1,000 kilowatt hours. What should we do? Well, obviously there's a mistake in the meter. So instead of crediting the customer for 1,000 kilowatt hours, they're going to charge you for the 1,000 kilowatt hours that your meter went down. I saw the same thing happen on the East Coast. So let's say it's a 20 cents a kilowatt hour and you sent 1,000 kilowatt hours back for the month. They're going to charge you $200 for that month. Whereas in reality, 
if you had properly interconnected the system, you would have gotten a $200,000 credit. Now you're $400 behind. So it's very ironic. They're going to basically make you, for paying for the privilege, to send electricity back to them for free. So there's a $400 swing there, and that's just an example in, in California. The numbers might be different. But the end result is you definitely should and need to get interconnected by the utility. It's the only way to kind of play by the rules, and you will inevitably get caught if you don't. All right. That was kind of an interesting situation that happened to another friend in the area that put in a system and didn't bother to get it connected, and we're trying to straighten them out. Anyway, all right, another question. Can I use the power for my solar panels if there's a blackout? Let's say there's a blackout, a weather event, whatever, and it's still a very sunny day. Now, your solar panels are producing plenty of energy on the roof, but the way the systems are designed for safety reasons, all grid-tied inverters automatically, instantaneously stop inverting. They stop operating if the power from the utility goes off. And this is really a very important safety consideration. If the systems kept going and you were sending power back through the electric lines when there was a power failure, a utility worker who is maybe in your neighborhood fixing that power failure could get a bad shock or could kill them. Same thing happens with emergency generators, that there's a requirement that you put a transfer switch on your emergency generator so that if there's a blackout, you fire up your generator, you're not backfeeding the grid. So every grid tie inverter that I'm familiar with that's been sold for the last you know, 15, 20 years automatically goes off as soon as it loses reference power. So what do you do if you want power in a blackout? Well, you can get a battery backup system. We've talked about that. There's systems out on the market. They're expensive. Or you can get a generator. There are also some inverters that have a little tiny port on them that'll give you enough power maybe to run a cell phone or charge up your computer. So that's an option. The alternative is just to plug your cell phone or your computer into your car. So that's, uh, that's what to do if there's a blackout. Power goes out, system goes down, it's not generating power. As soon as the power comes back on, your solar system will start to work again. Okay, next question. How long is the warranty on my system? Well, this is an easy one to ask. All solar panels have at least a 25-year warranty. Some have 30-year warranties. That's a long time. I'm pretty confident that they're all going to work over that 25, 30-year period. They're going to be working 50 years from now. Very, very slight degradation, maybe a half a percent a year. But every old system that I've seen, they're still working, and, and that's really great. The inverters, that's, there's some electronics in there. All standard inverters, the string inverters, they typically have a 10-year warranty. And some, some installers buy an extended warranty from the inverter manufacturer to, to extend that to 20 years. But all the inverters have a 10-year warranty. What I like about microinverters is they, they have a standard 25-year warranty. And the reason why they can have this 25-year warranty, it's, it's just a tiny little package of electronics that's sealed up and, and there's really um, nothing that goes wrong. And, and I've had really good luck with microinverters over the past six or seven years. So inverters, modules, fine. Manufacturers, if there's a problem, they're going to pay for a replacement of the equipment and the good manufacturers are also going to pay for the installer's labor to replace the manufacturer's defective part. Now, what about the other things on your roof? Well, the racking and the mounting systems, they're made out of stainless steel and aluminum. They last forever. Never, ever seen a problem with those. The wiring is generally not part of an extended guarantee because you may have squirrels or rodents eating those. But as long as the wiring's underneath the panels and you don't have any squirrels or rodents on the roof, the wiring's going to be fine. It's in the shade. It's designed to last for 20, 25 years or so. Now, your roof, you may have a roof that has a 25-year warranty on the roof. If it's a new roof, the roof is going to be fine. I strongly recommend that you don't install a system on an old roof 
and your solar installer should give you some insights into that. So here's the reality. Solar panels are going to be fine. Don't worry about the warranty from every manufacturer is fine. Every single product I've seen just keeps working. The inverters have a 10 or 25-year warranty. I can pretty much guarantee you that the inverters are going to fail the day after the warranty expires. That's just kind of Murphy's Law. Now, regarding your roof, if the roof leaks now, it's going to keep leaking if you have solar. The solar is not going to help it. So don't put solar on an old roof. And as far as the racking and the mounting systems, as long as it's stainless steel and aluminum, there's nothing to corrode. It's going to keep working. Now, basic advice there is just find an installer who you trust who's been in the business for a while. Okay, next question. So this comes. This is one of the technical issues related to some proposals that you may get from solar. And it relates to what's called an electric rate escalation. So the question is, is a 3% or 4% or 5% a reasonable amount to consider for the electric rate escalation? Now, what many solar companies, salespeople do, is they try and fudge the numbers so that your payback is fast, your payback is shorter. And one way to improve the payback is to assume that your electricity prices keep rising and go up fast. Now, always a safe bet that electricity will generally, historically, trend line, go up. But there's lots of fluctuations. And and even here in California, I've seen situations where electric rates at the top tier have gone down, which is very weird. And that's something that might actually happen again in a couple of years. So the salesperson is going to assume an electricity escalation rate. It's going to be built into his or her projections that it's going to make the system payback look better. The bigger the escalation rate, the faster the payback is going to be. So my comment is watch out for escalation rates that are high. Now, maybe a 2% escalation rate might be fair, 3 or 4 or 5%, you're kind of pushing it. And here at Cinnamon Solar, just because the paybacks have gotten so short, we don't even talk about escalation rates. It's just kind of flat, which means that the savings are actually going to be higher than you expect. So we talked about electric rate escalations. The other thing you may ask is, well, what about a 3 or a 4 or 5% or some other number amount for a payment escalation? So some solar contracts, particularly PPAs or leases and some loans, have a payment escalator. So they start with a low payment and then every month or every year, the payment goes up by, I've seen some that are like 2.9%, 3%, 4%, maybe even 5%. Your payments gradually go up. It's kind of like a balloon on a mortgage, but it just is a steady inexorable increase. And the reason why they have these payment escalators is you can start with a lower lease or PPA or loan payment. It looks good. Your cash flow is better at the beginning, but gradually over time, you're going to start paying more and more for that. Now, the logic for including these payment escalators is that electricity costs will go up, so it's fair for the payments that you make to go up to. Now, that's acceptable, but it's going to affect negatively your return, your payback on the system. And here's what can happen. It could be that your payment escalations, let's say there's a 5% payment escalator and electric rates really, in reality, over 10 years only go up 3% on the average a year. 3% is probably a pretty good number. So what's going to happen is you're going to come out 2% worse every year. And so you got to kind of watch out for these as these payment escalators. And when you do your cash flow, you should do your own independent calculation of cash flow. Find somebody who's an accountant or who has an MBA that can kind of help you out with these numbers because it's really, really complicated. So I'd say watch out for payment escalators and watch out for electric rate escalators because lots and lots is going to happen to the utility industry over the next 20 years as solar gets cheaper and cheaper. And what we're paying for electricity now Who the heck knows? It may go up. It may go down. Obviously, the trend has been up, but now you've got people that are individuals with solar on the roof and solar farms that are generating electricity much, much cheaper than it ever was generated before. 
All right, next question. If I sell my house, will the new buyer value my solar system? Well, there's been some research, and we did a show on how solar increases the value of your house. I think the number is about 4 or $5 a watt for a relatively new system. So typical 5-kilowatt system is going to increase the value of your house by $20,000. I mean, that's a great deal, especially since if you were to put that new system on now and it cost you $20,000 before the tax credit, your net would be $14,000. So if any of you is kind of thinking about selling your house or thinking about selling the house in a year or two, solar is a pretty good way of increasing increasing the value of the house for a good deal. $14,000 to put solar on, and it's going to increase the value by 20000 And, obviously, you get the benefits along the way of a lower electric rate. But here's the thing about putting solar in your house. It's really completely up to the buyer. My perspective on it is if solar's on the back of the house or if solar's nicely integrated with the roof line, it's only going to be a positive. If solar's in the front of the house and it's kind of conspicuous and you got some racking sticking out from the sides and there are these silver frame modules poking up, there may be some possible buyers who are going to say, you know, gee, I really don't like that. That trend has started to go away as people are kind of looking for solar, but it's something to consider. Now, here's the other thing, and this is the real thing you got to watch out for. If you have a lease or a PPA system, sometimes there's a long-term contract on that. Always a long-term contract on that. So you're going to have to pay off that lease system before the system's transferred. Now, the leasing companies will tell you that the new buyer is going to want solar and they're going to want to take over the lease. But a lot of savvy buyers and a lot of savvy realtors are going to say, hey, you know, why don't we just make the homeowner, selling homeowner, completely pay off that system? And then the lease can be transferred or the lease is terminated. And so if you're going to completely pay off that $20,000 system and if you you kind of look at what your payments are going to be. It could cost you $25,000. So watch out. So my basic advice is if the new homeowner kind of likes solar and you own the system, it's only going to be positive. If you lease the system, you may run into some problems kind of transferring it. And finally, if one of the buyers is a Koch brother, you know, our, our friends in the oil industry, you're completely out of luck. All right, next question. Will that tree to the south of my roof shade the system and reduce the output? Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. Shade on the panels means that your output goes down. The more shade you have, the lower the output's going to be. It's completely proportional to direct sunlight. Solar panels do not work when they're shaded. Solar panels do not work on a very cloudy day. They don't work with moonlight. They need direct, intense sunlight. And you can kind of look at it. I've seen situations where people have panels on the west roof, and there's a big tree right in front of the west roof. Well, in the morning, you may get a little bit of sunlight hitting those solar panels at an angle, but the output, since the solar is coming in at an angle, is very, very low. So solar is really proportional to direct sunlight that hits perpendicular to the panel. And if you have any big trees in the front, you're going to really lose out. Now, if you have microinverters or optimizers, they really do help to mitigate these shade problems. And the reason why that's so useful is on a string inverter, if you shade a few panels, it can basically shut the whole string down. It can shut the inverter down. Whereas if you have a microinverter or optimizers, they can continue to get power out of the other solar panels that aren't shaded. So I've been seeing more and more systems. It just drives me crazy as I'm driving around, even where I live in my home neighborhood, where there's people that have solar underneath a tree. And I'm seeing more and more of these things. Those systems are going to get a fraction of the output than they should. And if you're a homeowner with shade, you should ask some serious questions of your installer. You should get some different quotes. And even here at Cinnamon Solar, we can put you in touch with a third party 
that's going to do an independent shading analysis, and that's really going to help you decide whether or not the system is going to be working or what the output's going to be. But I guarantee you, if you've got significant shading, your output's going to be much less. Now, and the bummer is, sometimes a solar salesman's going to underestimate dramatically that shading, so they could get the deal, and so you may be stuck with a lease or a long-term payment, but your savings are going to be much less than you expect. All right, next question. Do I need to clean my solar panels? Well, the answer is clean solar panels work better than dirty solar panels. If your solar panels are very dirty and it doesn't rain, like here in California, we've had a drought for the last few years, then you should clean them. When I've run the numbers on these cleaning situations, because it costs 150 to $200 to send out a crew, a trained crew with the right equipment, with the right safety procedures to clean the system, it doesn't cost a lot more to clean a big system than a little one. So basically, if you have a big system, you should clean it more often because you can justify that extra $150, $200 cost. Now, rain does a really good job of cleaning. My customers on the East Coast, you get a thunderstorm. Those panels are really, really clean after the rain, whereas if you're in a dust dry area, you should have them professionally clean. And just a other qu- couple of quick remarks. When you get them cleaned, use a soap solution, some kind of soapy solution. Never hose them off because that could actually damage the glass. And then you also should consider cleaning them if there's a performance guarantee. So sometimes these performance guarantees have a clause in there that says, well, we'll only guarantee the performance if you keep the systems really clean. So you may need to document that you've had those systems clean every once in a while. All right, next question. No money down. Sounds like a great deal. What's the catch? Well, you know, whenever you hear somebody on the radio say, hey, solar is free or, you know, things are free. Have you ever heard of a free car? No. Solar systems like cars, they're expensive. It's going to cost 20, 30 grand. So there may be no money down deals where you're basically deferring the payments. In that case, you're going to pay more over time to make up for the fact that the installer or the finance company doesn't get their money immediately, but you're always going to pay. And the payments are, in many cases, going to start low, but they're going to gradually go up. We talked about escalators. So basically, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If you are looking for solar with no money down, there are ways to do solar with no money down where you can borrow the money from a bank, you can get a home equity loan, you can get something called PACE, which is a really great program offered in many locations. It stands for Property Assessed Clean Energy, and we do that with our customers. They love it. Or, you know, if you really don't have any other options, a lease is a good idea, or PPA, a power purchase agreement, is a good idea. So you can do it with no money down in every single case never seen this change in every single case. It's going to cost you more money than if you were to use cash or use some of your own investment funds. All right, finally, last question. What will I save with my solar system? That's the toughest question. That's why I saved it to last. It's impossible to sort out the right answers from various installers. There's so many variations in savings calculations. I can't figure out these other proposals. And it's extremely confusing when some installers or some companies will quote you not a cash price, but they'll quote you a kilowatt hour price. You know, they're saying your utility power is 20 cents a kilowatt hour and their power is only 15 cents a kilowatt hour. So it's a great idea. It's impossible to sort this stuff out. It's very hard to validate the numbers. So what I suggest is get a few cash purchase estimates that are for the same size system. Look at the estimates that you get from each of these installers as far as the kilowatt hours. So get a quote for a five kilowatt system. 
see how many kilowatt hours that system is going to generate. You know, maybe it generates, pick a number, uh, 13, 14,000 kilowatt hours a year. And then <laughs> I'm going to just say the one that you can probably trust is the one that gives you the lowest estimate. They're, they're the most conservative. And the one that's probably the least realistic and the most aggressive salesperson is the one that gives you the highest estimate for output. And don't forget about payment escalators and electric escalators. So those are some of the questions that homeowners should ask. And we'll probably be covering some more of these questions on a future show. That's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 